Okay, I'm just going to jump right in and tell you that I am so, so excited about this week's episode. Who's ready for a little Laura Jean Covey? That's right, listeners. Episode 167 is all about Jenny Hans to all the boys I've loved before. This YA romance and its sequels have become even more popular in recent years thanks to Netflix, but it was pretty beloved right from the beginning starting when it was published in 2014. In it, we meet Laura Jean, a 16-year-old hopeless romantic who is smack in the middle of a lot of life changes. Her older sister Margot is moving to Scotland for college, and Laura Jean has taken on a lot of her responsibilities in the household, especially taking care of her younger sister Kitty. The entire family is also dealing with the fallout of Margot's breakup with the boy next door, Josh who Laura Jean is just a little bit in love with. Plus, they're still grieving the sudden loss of Laura Jean's mother a few years earlier. But what happens when a box of letters that Laura Jean wrote to all of the boys she's loved before, including Josh, actually gets out? I'm feeling nervous and embarrassed just thinking about it. Laura Jean handles it by embarking on a fake relationship with her former friend and very cool guy, Peter Kavinsky. But as we all know, fake dating rarely stays fake for long. Like to all the boys I've loved before, this episode is a lot of fun and I am so excited that you're tuning in. My guests and I get into conversations about the Netflix adaptations, what this book teaches us about our own sibling relationships, why we would like to be friends with Laura Jean, the importance of representation in literature, the subversion of typical popularity tropes, our thoughts on fake dating scenarios, the way Jenny Han portrays sex, and so much more. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to this week's guest. Farah Naz Rishi is a Pakistani-American Muslim writer and voice actor, but in another life, she's worked stints as a lawyer, a video game journalist, and an editorial assistant. She received her BA in English from Bryn Mawr College, her JD from Lewis and Clark Law School, and her love of weaving stories from the Odyssey Writing Workshop. Farah's novels, I Hope You Get This Message and It All Comes Back to You, are now available. When she's not writing, she's probably hanging out with video game characters. You can find her at home in Philadelphia or on Twitter at Farah Naz Rishi. And now that I know that Farah lives in Philly, I am going to have to try imposing my friendship on her because I think she is just fantastic. Thanks, Farah, for being part of the show. Speaking of being part of the show, I want to give a shout out to you, the listener. In fact, consider this my love letter to you, a la Lara Jean Covey. You really are a big part of SSR. Running a podcast solo is no joke, but the fact that so many of you love listening to it helps keep me motivated. If you enjoy the podcast and haven't shared about it yet, it would mean a lot to me if you did, whether that means telling a friend or posting about your favorite episode on social media. If you go the social media route, don't forget to tag me so I can see. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community. I love chatting with you in those spaces and hearing your thoughts about the podcast. Please don't hesitate to reach out. You can also share your thoughts about the podcast with a review on Apple Podcasts. Those five-star ratings and reviews in particular really do help the show grow. Patreon helps the show grow too. If you're a big fan of the show and want to be part of its growth and also cash in on some very fun rewards, you can join SSR's Patreon for as little as a dollar per month. All patrons get access to our SSR Discord, and there are additional extras at every tier, including bonus episodes, newsletters, reading recap videos, and more. We are also gearing up for a new month in SWR, also known as Shit We Read, the Patreon-exclusive book club that I personally facilitate. In November, we will be reading Kelsey McKinney's God Spare the Girls, and I would absolutely love to have you join us. 
Learn more and join the Patreon family at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. It's never totally comfortable to talk about money, but I want to continue to give this community my best as it grows along with the show, and your contributions really go a long way there. Thanks so much to all of the patrons listening now. Some of the friends I've made through SSR's Patreon community are major audiobook fans, and it's a lot of fun to get their recommendations. If you also love audiobooks, I hope you're using Libro FM. We all love the feeling of directing our dollars towards small businesses instead of giant corporations, and Libro FM makes that possible even if you don't happen to live near an independent bookstore IRL. The audiobooks you get from Libro FM are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. A quick housekeeping moment before we dive into this week's episode. The podcast will be taking a quick break next week, the final week of October 2021. We'll be back on November 2nd to kick off New Reads November 2021. New Reads November has become a tradition in the SSR community, and I am excited to bring it back for round four. In the meantime, take next week to get caught up on any episodes of the podcast you've missed. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Farah. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on, and I'm so excited about the book we are chatting about today. I feel like this book falls into this interesting sort of time period that I don't actually get too much in SSR because generally we talk about these like throwback books which are from like the 70s 80s 90s and then I don't know that you know this but once a year we do new reads November on the podcast so for the month of November we talk about books that were published in the last like year or so so there's this weird sort of dead zone in the early to mid aughts that I feel like we just haven't gotten too much yet. And there's so many amazing books that were published in this period. And so this is a great reminder to me that I need to spend more time in this time period. Today, we are talking about Jenny Hans to all the boys I've loved before. Yay. I love this book. I'm so excited. Can you tell me why you chose it? I mean, how can we not? I mean, the Netflix movie just came out. It just finished up. I mean, I fell in love with it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to read this book um, when it first came out. So for me, I watched the the movie series, I guess, first and absolutely fell in love with it. I thought the cast was fantastic. So I was really excited to finally have an excuse to sit down and actually read this book finally and kind of have that fun, like, okay, let's compare the book and the movie's experience and just, I don't know, get lost in this world. Oh my gosh. I mean, I know this is like a relatively newish book, but I feel like this is one of those ones that's going to be like timeless anyway. It's just, it's so good. 
I agree. And it's funny because um, in some of the interviews that I was reading with Jenny Han in preparation for this interview, a lot of people compared her work to books like Little Women and Betsy Tacey and Anne of Green Gables. And so to your point, I do think it's moving in this like timeless classic direction. And of course, it has like so many other amazing things going for it that those classics certainly did not like a diverse cast of characters. But she has noted specifically Little Women as a book that really inspired her. She talks a lot in these interviews about how like she wanted readers to have this feeling of being cozied up around a fireplace with their family. And I think she totally succeeded to that end in this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, holidays play such a big part in this book. So I don't know, like Christmas, especially I was feeling that warmth. And like, I really wanted to just stuff my face with sugar cookies and even the fruitcake cookies. Yeah, no, she absolutely nailed it. It's funny because like Little Women, I remember reading it as a kid and it never bothered me that it was like a really, really old book. It didn't matter because you just get so like lost in their world and these sisters and it's, it's exactly the same feeling I got with this book. Yeah, listeners know that I reread Little Women every holiday season, speaking of holidays. So yeah, I definitely feel that way. And the holiday elements of this book, I agree. We're recording this episode in late September. And so we're kind of like right on the verge of tiptoeing into the holiday season, into like the cozy season. And so I was feeling the same way. I don't think I read this right when it came out either. I was trying to remember. So it came out in 2014. I was 24, so not quite the target audience at that time. I may have read it, though, only because I was working in kids publishing at the time. And around those years, I happened to be working in a group that was very interested in like competitive analysis because I was working in the sales department. And so there was a period when I was like an assistant in that group when I was really trying to be an overachiever and like read every book from competitive houses that was just like crushing it on the bestseller lists. And obviously this book was Mm-hmm. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for 40 weeks, I read somewhere, oh which actually sounds like kind of low to me, if anything, because I feel like it has been back on since the movies came out. So 40 actually seems, I feel like I feel like it has maybe been on for longer. So I may have skimmed the book at one point, like around when it came out, but I don't feel like I ever gave it a really close read. And then I did watch the movie in 2018. I regret to say that I have not watched the sequels which is stupid. I don't know why. Like, I I don't know that I've ever used the word stupid on this podcast because I really take that like stupid is a bad word thing to heart. But I think this is an okay situation. It is stupid that I have not watched the other two. And I really want to. (laughs) It's like, why are you making yourself miss out on this excellence? That's that's where it comes in. I think I, I get it. I get it. But I'm glad that you are more up to date on the movies than I am and that we're kind of in the same boat with like not having read the book as teens right when it came out. I, of course, reread it again for this podcast episode, and I'm so excited to get into it. So let's just like jump in and talk about our girl, Laura Jean. So I wanted to share a quote that I found from Jenny Han about kind of how she conceived of Laura Jean as she was writing it. She said, and I'll link to all of these articles and interviews in the show notes, listeners, as always, this quote is from an article in Teen Vogue called Jenny Han says some Hollywood execs tried to whitewash to all the boys I've loved before, which is a whole other subject that we can get into later if you'd like. She said, the way I conceived of Laura Jean was to be a modern day heroine, the same kind of heroine I grew up reading, except I never really saw an Asian American girl be the heroine. She's bright, she's optimistic, she's really romantic, and she's very much an American girl. The American girl doesn't look just one kind of way, not in 2018, not ever. 
That's what I wanted to showcase for the girls who don't fit that mold of what people think an American girl looks like, but also for the girls who do fit that mold, because I think that representation is good for everybody. Yeah, totally agreed. It infuriates me, though, that they tried to whitewash Laura Jean. Like, how could you do that? Why would you do that? I mean, I get that they, I guess, executives probably were convinced that somehow she wouldn't be relatable. But to Jenny's point, like, she is an all-American girl. I don't, I don't understand. It's baffling. It's baffling. This Teen Vogue article is really fascinating. And Jenny Han gets super honest about the process of adapting the book, which is just interesting in itself. And I'd I'd love to hear like your thoughts on what it might feel like to have your book adapted into a movie. But she does talk quite a bit about how I guess like some of the people she was talking to were really resistant to making the Coveys Asian American, which is absurd because that's like a core part of the book and of Laura Jean's identity in the book is sort of figuring out how to celebrate her mother's Korean traditions, even though her mother isn't around anymore. And that's just like a huge part of the story. But Jenny talks about how like a lot of what she was hearing was that like, we need to we need the right actress to like green light this movie and Hmm. all of these concerns about how like, it's really hard to find like a new up and coming teenager who can green light a movie, let alone a non white teenager who can green light a movie and she was like this is a chicken and an egg situation like who I don't know what you're talking about and then of course Lana Condor comes on and is amazing and became a superstar overnight and it it is so upsetting that this is a conversation that we're still having in 2018 when the movie came out and in 2021 like it's just absurd to me yeah yeah I remember with the second movie there was a lot of discourse over casting John Ambrose as like a mixed black boy and people were really upset about that and I was like uh, why? Like, you don't deserve this movie then. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Laura Jean and Jenny deserve so much better than you. And if you're having this conversation, you can get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was my first. But like, I feel like her not to obviously shrink or belittle the the huge part. I think that um, her Korean identity you know, plays a role in the story, but it's still just one aspect of a very relatable story. Like it's just one piece. Like when you are from a marginalized community, your marginalization isn't always at the forefront of every thought, every like piece of your life. So, I mean, just to have that little sprinkle of a much greater story, I think just enriches the whole thing. So I don't understand why you would remove that. Like the difference between her being white and Asian isn't as vast, I think, as these executives like to make it seem. Like, oh, suddenly if she's a a marginalization, like people aren't going to be able to relate to her at all. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's at once this like very significant piece of who she is and also like not significant at all because she's a teenager who is like living her teenage life in America and like doing her thing. So I'm so glad that we were able to like have Lana Condor playing Lara Jean Covey. She's so great. Like I said, I feel like I need to just like BRB and go watch the other two movies (laughs) because I want to see them. I want to see how they played out. Please. But what about book Lara Jean? Like Farrah, when you were reading this book for the first time, getting to know Lara Jean on the page, how did you relate to her? Did she remind you of yourself as a teenager at all? Like what were the things that most resonated with you about her character? Yeah, I mean, I think she is 100% relatable. Like she 
she feels very, very strongly. And at the end of the day, she only cares about her family. I think that that has been kind of the big theme in this book that, you know, none of the boys actually matter as much as her relationship with her sisters does. And I found that to be really, really sweet and charming, you know, like she really just cares about her family. And I, I don't know, I loved that. It's different. She's not necessarily boy crazy in the way that I think, you know, some people like to think all teenage girls are by any means. No, like her priority was her relationship with her with her two awesome sisters and her dad and I loved I don't know I loved that but I was also I think to like talking about Lana Condor and her portrayal of Laura Jean they really were one in the same I, I don't even see very much of a difference which is really nice to to see on the page like oh yeah Lana Condor, Condor like nailed I think Laura Jean's character and, and vice versa totally um one of the other interviews that I found with Jenny Lee and I will be bringing in like quite a bit about the movies just because of course there's been so much out there about them over the last couple of years and I think it's interesting she talks about how the first photo that she saw of Lana Condor was um I think it was something that she posted on Instagram and she was like leaning up against an old school like soda fountain and she was dressed in this like very sort of like old-timey Americana colorful outfit and she was like done like this is this is Lara Jean like Lara Jean is this person, wrap it up, like this has to be her. And it just, it seems like it kind of fit together seamlessly from there. I agree. I think Lana Condor played Laura Jean really well. I agree with everything else that you're saying too. It's rare that we see a character, I think, in YA Lit that so genuinely is attached to their family and prioritizes their family. I think so often family is framed as this like obligation or like a drag in YA lit. Like absolutely, you have to be accountable to your parents and that's a pain or your sisters are annoying. Your brothers require a lot of your time, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, of course, Lara Jean has plenty of arguments with her sisters. And I think there's a conversation to be had about just like the level of responsibility that is placed on these girls in this family. That's its own kind of fascinating mm -hmm. rabbit hole to dive into. But um, I appreciate the fact that like she has a genuine love and attachment for her family and they are not in any way like an inconvenience to her, which it's such an easy like teenage trope to play into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all the times that Laura Jean would ask Kitty to do her hair and stuff. And it's like, they would have just had a fight like the day before and Kitty would be like, oh, fine, okay. But not like this intricate braid that you're asking for because that won't go with your outfit. I thought that was so cute and so realistic. Yeah, I thought that the sister relationships were portrayed in a really realistic, relatable way. I have a lot of sisters. I'm the oldest sister. And so I, of course, like can't help but align myself with Margot in a lot of ways. Although mm -hmm. I, of course, tried to relate to Laura Jean as the middle sister and then Kitty, who is the baby of the family. We do talk a lot about birth order on the podcast just because I think it plays into these stories in such an interesting way. Where do you fall in the birth order in your family? Oh yeah, I'm the older sister as well. Okay, so, so you totally, get it. <laughs> yeah, I totally get. Like, I can see reading this book why some people would be like mad at Margot because she seems to just be very closed off and kind of cold. And towards the end, it feels like her her anger towards Laura Jean was almost misplaced. But at the same time, like I get it, she's holding on to so much of the family weight that I'm sure the other sisters don't even necessarily 100% realize or will ever understand. That was beautifully done. Yeah, I agree. I also think that one of Lara Jean's ongoing struggles throughout the book is this quest that she's on to sort of measure up to Margot, um, yes. who stepped in in a lot of ways to take care of her younger sisters after they lost their mother in a very sudden and traumatic way a few years before the story starts. 
And Margot is going off to Scotland for college, which is like so cool and not something that I ever would have been brave enough to do. So go Margot. Mm-hmm. And Lara Jean is feeling a lot of pressure to kind of step in and fill Margot's shoes. Margot is not just like your average big sister. She does the grocery shopping for the family. Their dad is a doctor, so he's not around much. And he needs a lot of help from Margot, grocery shopping, making lunches for the siblings. Like she sort of has spent the last few years becoming an adult and running this household. And Laura Jean feels like that needs to be her role now too. And watching her struggle to figure out how to measure up and like negotiate how she can celebrate her own personality and also be helpful to her family. It it made me more empathetic, I think, toward my younger sisters, because I do think I have a tendency to be a bit of a Margot in terms of being controlling. And like, I really like to feel needed. That's something that's really important to me. And so I would imagine that my younger sisters like might sometimes feel like not everybody needs to feel needed the way that I do. And maybe I have at times put an unfair pressure on them or just kind of been a pain. Like, I I guess I just, it was an interesting perspective for me to read about what Laura Jean is going through as she's processing all of this with Margot. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for older siblings, I think, because on one hand, you want to feel needed and you want to be that like almost parental figure for your older siblings. But at the same time, you also want to make sure that they're prepared for real life in a way that you might not have been. So what do you do? (laughs) Right. Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know what my role is. Like, how do I get it all right? And then if you're a Margot and if you're a me, and I think a lot of older siblings are like this, so maybe you are too fair. Like, I want to get it right. Like, I don't want to mess it up. I only have one chance to be the oldest sibling at each of these stages of my siblings' lives. And so I don't want to... I don't want to be anything less than perfect. And perfect is an illusion, as we know. But Margot wants to be perfect. And I think Laura Jean is realizing as she tries to take on some of these tasks that like she can't be perfect and she just has to be like her best her. Yeah. And for all of like Laura Jean's faults, because obviously none of these characters are perfect. She still acknowledges that Margot has done so much for her. And I think the ending is so sweet when she just flat out a bunch of stuff happens and she flat out just says like, you, you prepared me for life. Like that's why I'm able to take care of the house now that you're gone in Scotland. Like it's because of what you've done for me. And I thought that was just so sweet. Yeah, it's like that moment at the end of Gilmore Girls when Rory is like, you've given me everything I need. Ah, oh, my heart breaks even thinking about it. Okay, so we also have to introduce another very important member of the Cubby family who is an unofficial member of the Cubby family, and that is their neighbor, Josh. Yes. Josh lives next door. He's been friends with the girls for years, and for the last few years, he's been dating Margot quite seriously. And we learn that they have broken up right before Margot goes away to Scotland, which kind of throws like the whole family off balance. Everybody's like afraid to tell their dad, like they don't want Mm -hmm. him to find out and get upset. It's just a very sensitive subject. What were your thoughts on Josh when you first met him in the book? Oh, that was so hard because I am a sucker for like the boy next door trope, the childhood best friend trope. I love I love that. So on one hand, I was like, at first I wanted to root for Josh and Laura Jean. But then at the same time, it was really messed up because he's like, it's later revealed that he liked Laura Jean first. And then afterwards, I guess, started falling in love with Margot. And I thought that was very bizarre. And at that point, it just kind of like ruined his image in my mind. Because I was like, you say you love this one girl, but then you go after the older sister when you're unsure of Laura Jean's feelings, that seems shady. So then afterwards, I was like, I'm done with you. You're trash. Bye. Bye. <laughs> exactly. It was that. 
it was that quick. (laughs) So mad. So mad. As you say that, I so I picked up on a couple of other Little Women-esque notes in this book, even before I read that interview with Jenny Han, which we can talk about later. But as you said that, I am realizing like, this has notes of Little Women too, where like, yes, Laurie spent all of these years obsessing over Joe and Joe like wasn't ready to like embrace that kind of relationship with him. She just didn't feel prepared to step into like a romantic situation with anyone really. I don't think it had anything to do with Laurie. And he sort of transfers all of those feelings that he had for Joe into a relationship with Amy. And of course, there's a lot of differences, but I think big picture, like that's kind of a similar thing because that's sort of how I read this book where like Josh had a crush on Laura Jean for a number of years and it wasn't working out. Laura Jean is a year younger than Josh while Margot is a year older than he is. So maybe Laura Jean just wasn't ready. She is shy, which is something that I can relate to. I was very shy about relationships when I was in high school. And it almost is like he loved being part of the Covey family so much that he was willing to be like, "I, I think I like Margot. Like Margot could be cool too. That's sort of what happened with Laurie. Like Laurie too was the boy next door. He loved being part of the March family. And it almost seemed like he would do anything he could to sort of solidify his standing in the family. Yeah. I mean, it's hard too, I guess, not to completely bash on him, but I can see why it would be really hard for Laura Jean to even communicate those feelings. I mean, when you're that young and you're going through school and like all these other stressors, and obviously she's still reeling over the loss of her mom, you just don't have the vocabulary to be able to communicate those like really intense feelings. And you just kind of take for granted that they're always going to be there. So you almost don't feel the need to like rush into finding that voice for those feelings. So I feel bad for her because it's like the what if, what could have been maybe, but still, yeah, Josh is garbage. And so was Lori. Yeah, so was Lori. I mean, it's also complicated. <laughs> to Josh's credit, he works in a bookstore. So I just have to, I mean, that's dreamy. That is dreamy. That is dreamy. And he also knows them so well. It's like, it, there's something like very, it just, it makes me feel heart tingly every single time the guy like knows the family so well. I think that's really, that's really cute. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to not feel a little weak at the knees, at least for a minute thinking about Josh, but for a minute, for a minute, and then we get over it. So Josh is around um, and then he's suddenly not, which is very weird for everybody. It's an awkward situation for the whole family to deal with. And then we learn that Laura Jean wrote him a letter at some point. And I think one of the things that she sort of reflects on with respect to the letter speaks to what you're talking about, about why Laura Jean kind of decided to back out and like let Margot step in and date Josh. So I guess I'll, I'll share a brief context about the letters, although I feel, I feel most people have either watched the movie or read the book at this point. For those who don't know, the whole premise of To All the Boys I Loved Before as a phrase is that Laura Jean has written these letters to five boys that she has had crushes on or felt that she was in love with. She's put them in this hat box that her mom gave her to store her special things, and she's never sent them. They're addressed and stamped, which is, I think, hilarious, but she's never <laughs> sent them. And it's kind of been like her exercise in closure, I think, or like practice in expressing herself. She is very romantic. And so I feel like this is just how she's getting those feelings out. But she has hidden the hat box until the letters get out. And that's kind of how the ball gets rolling on a lot of the action of the book. But Laura Jean reflects on kind of the awkwardness of Josh getting this letter. When I wrote my letter, when I said my goodbyes, I meant it. I swear I did. It wasn't even that hard. Not really. Not when I thought about how much Margot liked him, how much she cared. 
How could I begrudge Margot a first love? Margot, who had sacrificed so much for all of us. She always, always put Kitty and me first before herself. Letting go of Josh was my way of putting Margot first. Ugh. Laura Jean, that's so sweet. She's so self-aware and just, uh, no matter what she does in this book, she's always, I don't know, she always wins me over with her just, I don't know, empathy towards her older sister. It's really sweet. And she's so earnest. Yeah, she is. I also think this speaks to her tendency to people please, which is something that I have explored in some of my own writing. It's something I think about a lot because I have some major people pleasing tendencies that have... (laughs) been hard to manage as I've gotten older and it's something that I'm working on in therapy and elsewhere. What role do you see people pleasing playing in this family? I mean, I think people pleasing is like such a complex, another kind of chicken and egg situation, because I do think like some people are born kind of maybe more predisposed to like seek approval than others. But I also think certain like family or friend social situations necessitate people pleasing and the Covey family is a great example of that. They've lost a key member of their family and these girls are doing everything they can to make their dad's life easier. They don't want to cause problems for him. They're becoming adults much sooner than they would have otherwise. So I think that has sort of escalated Laura Jean's like natural people-pleasing tendencies. And I think we see her people-pleasing working both for her benefit and her detriment in this book. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like there's two different schools, right? You got the Laura Jean group and you got the Kitty group. And by God, I wish I was in the Kitty group where she just like lives her life and doesn't really care all that much. Bless her for it. But yeah, I, Laura Jean, I think because she's the last one of the sisters to really remember the mom and to kind of watch her dad and her older sister picking up the pieces and being too young at the time to really do anything about it. I think the people pleasing makes makes total sense because she just doesn't want to rock the boat. She's seen the way that they've suffered firsthand, again, in a way that Kitty might not have. And so, of course, she's not going to want to add to their burden. But yeah, and that also means that she never fights for what it is that she really wants and maybe isn't even sure of what she really wants until, in in the case of maybe Josh, it's too late. Yeah, and then she has a lot to figure out, (laughs) to figure out what she really wants. But yeah, Kitty doesn't remember their mom and Margot does remember their mom. But I think what we're meant to believe is that Margot jumped so quickly into this caretaking mode that she never quite processed the loss of their mother. And I actually think that Margot kind of strikes this like perfect balance of the people pleasing thing because she does seem to rise to the occasion to help her family whenever it's required. But then she like goes to Scotland, (laughs) which again, not something that I would ever do, partially because I'm not brave enough, but also because like, I think my parents would be upset. (laughs) Same, same. I was not allowed to leave, which in retrospect was probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it it does. I feel like they didn't explain fully in the book exactly why she decided to go to Scotland. It almost seemed like a spur of the moment thing, which is why when she's there, she almost like regrets it and wishes she could come back immediately. But I'm I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of those things where she was like, I finally just want to have some time to myself. Yeah, I need some Margot time. Finally, yeah. Broke up with my boyfriend. Go to Scotland. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these letters are now out in the world, and we don't know how they got out, and it's predictably devastating. And I could feel like my skin crawling for Laura Jean and just like trying to picture the boys that I maybe would have written similar letters to when I was Laura Jean's age and then imagining how it would have felt to show up at school one day and for them to walk up to me and like quote those letters back to me. Oh my God, the Um, horror. Can you imagine? The horror. This is why I, so when I was Laura Jean's age, I had a live journal and it was private because I was like, this can never happen to me. 
I had to change the password like every week because I was paranoid that this would happen to me. This can never see the light of day. Exactly. Well, and and I'll spoil like how the letters got out because I do think, I mean, it's not, it's sort of predictable. And again, this is like a little women thing. If we think about Amy burning Joe's manuscript out of spite because she wasn't allowed to go ice skating or to a play or something with her older siblings, mm-hmm. Kitty put all of the letters in the mail because she's mad at Laura Jean because Laura Jean is being annoying to her, which is such a sister thing. If Laura Jean learns anything from this experience, I think it should probably be that you just like don't address letters that you don't want to send because this all could have been avoided if she had just had the letters in the hat box without addresses on them. Right? Like even putting it on paper, it's still unsafe. Yeah. She's had a private live journal. Yeah. I mean, you (laughs) should take Farrah's advice and have a private live journal. I had a Zanga when I was in high school. Oh my God. So sometimes I try to like look for mine. I don't think I... I don't think I wrote like diary entries, but I did a lot of those like um, really extensive Q and A's that would go around. Like you would copy and paste a list of like 50 questions and I would try, do you remember those? They were so fun. And I would try to like make mine heavy with meaning. Ooh, Yeah. I wanted them to feel very significant and deep, but I did not have a private live journal and I did not write love letters, which is probably a good thing because who knows what would have happened if they'd gotten out. And I have little sisters who, you know, if they'd gotten mad enough at me, maybe they would have mailed them. I did note though, that in the movie, they changed it so that Kitty mailed the letters kind of out of love and not out of spite, right? Like she wants to give Laura Jean a chance to fall in love with more boys. I guess that's because they just wanted like Kitty's character to be a little more endearing. Yeah. Yeah, I can get that. But in a way, it didn't really change too much for me. I feel like Kitty could have still done that. that, And obviously she feels like so guilty the way that a young girl would if she did that. Like it's a horrible thing that she did. But I don't know. I'd, I'd be fine if she just mailed it. Like if they had done that in the movie, you know, out of sight. Yeah. I mean, in the book, I feel like Laura Jean is upset about how they got out for a second but we don't hear about it again. Like I kept waiting for Laura Jean to kind of be on the hunt to figure out who mailed the letters or how they got out. But she sort of forgot about that pretty quickly. Like she got so wrapped up in the fake dating situation, understandably, that there was no like mystery element of how the heck did these letters get into the world? So we very briefly find out in the end that it was Kitty. She admits to it. She feels terrible. She's doing her best to redeem herself, which is very sweet. But yes, Mm -hmm. that's how the letters got out. These boys start coming up to Lara Jean in the hallway. And it's very awkward because Josh, who has sort of been become like a brother to her, her next door neighbor, he's like, uh, like, what the heck? Like, I didn't know that you loved me. And Lara Jean's solution is to say, and I will share the quote, she says, uh, yep, I'm dating someone I really, really like. So please don't worry about this. I was really confused when I wrote this. I don't even know how it got sent out. Honestly, it's not worth talking about. So please, please don't say anything to Margo about it. <laughs> that is such a realistic answer, though, because it's just clearly just like picking out straws. Like, I don't even know what to say at this point. I just want this conversation to be over. She's just like saying words. Yeah. Yeah. How many reallys can you include in a sentence? And I, <laughs> as somebody who uses a lot of reallys and varies. I totally get that. Um, And she finds herself grabbing Peter Kavinsky the next time she runs into Josh and being like, yeah, this is my boyfriend. She kisses him out of nowhere. And Peter Kavinsky is interesting because he and Laura Jean were friends a few years before, um, kind of very typical like middle school to high school transition stuff. Seems like maybe Laura Jean was in with like a cooler crowd when she was in middle school. 
there was Peter and Genevieve, who was like the cool girl. And then Chris, who is still Laura Jean's best friend, who's kind of like off doing her own thing. And Genevieve and Peter have been dating for a while. They've recently broken up. And Peter and Laura Jean kind of like ran into each other literally in a weird way earlier on in the book when Laura Jean gets into a little scuffle with Margot's car. And so suddenly there's this like renewed comfort between them and she grabs him. One thing leads to another and they are fake dating. Farah, what are your thoughts in general about the fake dating trope in YA, in adult fiction, in movies? I feel like people have pretty strong feelings about this one. Yeah, no, I mean, I love it. I don't think I've gotten sick of it yet, despite like its renewed vigor in YA lately. I'm, I don't know. I just, I think it's really romantic. It's fun to see. And I love to see all the different like situations as to like why. I read Sarah Desai's recent, it was not YA, but it's an adult book. And that, that was also fake dating. And I, I absolutely adored it. I don't know. It's just fun every single time. I think there's so many ways to do it. Like, and I, I, I don't know that we could ever run out of twists for it, which is why it continues to work. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm not, I'm not over fake dating yet. And I think in this book, it works really well. We were talking in one of my, my grad school classes recently about the importance in books and it's a film writing class actually, but um, the idea of like, predictability versus probability and how whenever you're going to include a twist in a narrative, it's like, you don't want it to be predictable, but it should be probable. And I think so often the the temptation for writers is to have this like wild twist that nobody sees coming, but readers don't buy that. And so I think, I think Jenny Han strikes the perfect balance with the choices she made with this particular fake dating scenario, because Lara Jean linking back up with Peter Kavinsky is not at all predictable because we didn't even know him when the book started, but it's probable enough because they've reconnected and they occupy the same universe. And while they're definitely not in the same social circle anymore, they have a good rapport going and it's comfortable enough. Like it's not like she's feeling that he's so out of her league that she can't hang out with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, as long as the events feel almost inevitable in a way, like when you look back on it, then I think you've done your job well. Like when you think about it, it makes sense that, you know, in order to get Josh kind of off her case that she would have to unfortunately be taken because that tends to be one of the only ways that guys will back off. Like, yeah, right? Rolling our eyes right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it makes, who else but Peter Kavinsky, honestly, it makes, and unfortunately it makes sense. And the Peter Kavinsky in the movie, he is so cute. It's the dimples. <gasps> oh, he is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was also perfect casting, in my opinion. Great casting. He also became a star kind of overnight, rightfully so. Yeah, he did. He did. Noah Centineo, I think, is how we say his last name. That's how it looks on paper. Yeah, I think that, at least in my mind, that's how I've been saying it, but I haven't sure. actually heard it be said. So there, it's Noah Centineo. We've decided it, and he's very Love cute it. in the movie. And I think he's very charming in the book. I think it would be very easy to make a character like Peter really unlikable. And he does have a few moments in the book, but I actually think that Jenny Han has has sort of subverted a common stereotype here where in some ways, Josh, who is like technically the less popular, sort of like less conventionally desirable character, as we've come to understand desirability in like books and movies, Josh actually comes off, I think, as as less likable. Whereas Peter, who is rich and like popular and cool, 
he's very charming and seems to be very easy to be with. And for the most part, I, I think he just beats a lot of the stereotypes that we've come to understand from pop culture about like this archetype of a high school boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think growing up, I would have ever really been into a Peter type person, but it really comes to show you that when you have a character that's willing to be vulnerable and is always connected to their emotions, you can still relate to them in some way or at least appreciate them. And I think that's what, that's the difference between Peter and all these other like typical high school football lacrosse-esque jock characters are is like, he's willing to be emotionally vulnerable and to say what it is that he's actually feeling sometimes to the detriment of Laura Jean and maybe he needs a little bit more of a filter and a little more grace but I don't know I appreciate that yeah he's a good communicator which is just nice to see it's just nice to see teenagers period being good communicators and I think we've been conditioned to read and watch and just see teenage boys in particular as like poor communicators and it's refreshing that Jenny Han is like, no, like it is possible for this kind of character to be able to communicate his feelings and to be kind and like open to a love interest. So we definitely get that in this book. And they come to an agreement. He's like pretty much down to do this fake dating thing. He and Genevieve have just broken up. And I think like his idea is that like, if he immediately starts dating Laura Jean, like maybe it will get Genevieve's attention. Although his, his intentions, I would say are a little less clear than Laura Jean's, which are basically like, I need Josh to get off my case. Yeah. So they establish all of these rules, which is like a very fun scene. Um, I love that they make each other's pictures, their phone backgrounds. That's like such a high school thing. And it was so cute in the movie too. Mm-hmm. And the little contract that they had, like a literal contract. So funny. So funny. So they like kind of jump right into the fake dating thing. And it's an interesting experience for Laura Jean because she has a couple of revelations, I think, about kind of how she has chosen to navigate high school so far. I pulled out a couple of passages that speak to this. She says, I never knew it before, but I think maybe all this time I've been invisible, just someone who is there. Now that people think I'm Peter Kavinsky's girlfriend, they're wondering about me. Like, why? What about me made Peter like me? What do I have? What makes me so special? I would be wondering too. I am now a mysterious girl. Before I was just a quiet girl but becoming Peter's girlfriend has elevated me to a mysterious girl. And I have mixed feelings about this because like, it does make me so sad as a reader to even for a second be like watching this character who I just adore, like begin this experience of seeing herself based on the boy that she's like not even actually dating, but fake dating. And I know that this is just like a thing that often works in storytelling and it it does work. I mean, I think her relationship with Peter teaches her something about herself and kind of snaps her into her senses of like, have I been sitting on the sidelines? Have I not been putting myself out there? At the same time, her dad is sort of like pushing the same thing to her and like encouraging her to be more social and not to like stay home scrapbooking. But her relationship with Peter just like puts her in a different spotlight and I think gets her wheels turning a little bit differently about like how she wants to be as a teenager. Yeah, the word elevate here is the word that I think bothers me the most Mm -hmm. because it it is heartbreaking to see her kind of just define her status at school as something that can move one way or another based on who she's dating in particular, like a guy that she's dating and that, that that's unfortunate. I wish there was some other way to make her feel like, I don't know, she has a bigger place, but at least given the situation, it does unfortunately make sense. Or even a different word. I think you're right. Just the word elevate bums me out because I like I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with a relationship 
giving you an opportunity to see different parts of yourself. Like, I think that's kind of yeah. part of it. And I think being with Peter teaches her a lot of important lessons and like emboldens her a little bit, which is great. Yeah. But that word elevate, you're right. That's like, what's really icky about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Peter basically teaches her how to be a better, better communicator, which makes sense because Peter himself is such a good communicator. So like, I get that, but yeah, elevate. Mm-mm. So the book goes on. And of course there's all of these like different adventures that she goes on in her fake dating scheme. They go to Halloween party, you know, they, they have sort of all of these different like misconnections as far as like who seems to be liking who more at any given time, very typical fake dating stuff. I don't say that to make it seem like it's not great because it is, but it's about what you would expect. So we don't need to go through all of those instances. And as the book kind of comes near its end, Josh, becomes more interested in Laura Jean or like at least admits that he is, which again, typical, predictable, like he only wants what he can't have. And something begins to happen in the kind of push-pull between these two guys in Laura Jean's life that really bothered me. And I, I, I don't think it's a thing that like Jenny Han did that bothered me. I think it's just the thing that happens in pop culture that bothers me. And it's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. We get into this series of chapters near the end of the book where I just feel like the whole thing is these two high school dudes telling Laura Jean like who she is and how she's supposed to be. We have Josh who is telling her like you're with this guy Peter who doesn't he's not good enough for you. He doesn't bring out the good parts of you, which like not your place to tell Laura Jean like who's good enough for her or like the kind of relationship that she wants to be in. Also, like you're a little late to the party on this. Yep. And then at the same time, we have Peter who is going on all of these speeches about how like Laura Jean chooses these boys that she can't have. Like he talks about how it's interesting that the five letters she wrote went to boys that like she actually never could have attained, which is rude to begin with and like mansplainy and just kind of plays into this whole idea of him thinking that he has elevated her, which false. And also just like, I don't need you to pathologize this like lovely main character who I thought that you were into. Like I thought you were building this great relationship with her. And now you're telling her what's wrong with her and like diagnosing her relationship tendencies. It just it made me feel really sad because I felt like she was seesawing back and forth between these two guys who were trying to bring her around to their way of thinking entice her back into relationships with them, but in a very weird way by like telling her about herself. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Peter definitely has some growing to do and I can understand why he's like lashing out at her, but at the same time, it doesn't excuse it and I can't forgive him for it. So that was just unfortunate to see on the page. It's also very realistic, frankly. Yeah, that's true. I do think a lot of what we're seeing like is realistic. I mean, the dialogue is a little prettier, of course, than what we would see in real life. But when I think back to my own high school experience, like everything is so heightened and everybody's figuring out what relationships are supposed to look like and how they want to feel in relationships. And I do think my friends and I, if I'm being honest, spent more time than we should have kind of like trying to pick each other apart and like figure out like what was really going on beneath the surface with each other, which is what Peter's doing. Mm -hmm. Josh reminds me a lot of like the boys that I hung out with when I was in high school and I know how much this kind of behavior can hurt. Like somebody who's just so critical of others. Like I I think that I knew this guy. Like I knew this guy who was like anybody who's not part of our group of like honor students is terrible and trash. And 
as you get older, of course, you realize that that's like a very reductive way to think about people. Yeah, that was just Josh trying to control his little world and not liking the fact that Laura Jean was, or I guess by bringing Peter in, Peter being the usurper, like, Lord, why would, why would you ruin what we've got? Like what we have is perfect. Yeah. That whole mentality. Yeah. There's this interesting theme throughout the book about like belonging to people. And I, I noted this one excerpt where Laura Jean reflects, Margot would say she belongs to herself. Kitty would say she belongs to no one. Love Kitty. And I guess I would say I belong to my sister and my dad, but that won't always be true. To belong to someone, I didn't know it. But now that I think about it, it seems like that's all I've ever wanted, to really be somebody's and to have them be mine. And I wrote that down because it's not the first time we get this language from Laura Jean. I think earlier in the book, she talks about like how special it was that Margot and Josh belonged to each other. And like, that's such a romantic idea. But it comes up again and again in the book. And I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, it goes back to that word elevate again, yeah. where you're defining your entire life and status because of your relationship with someone else. And again, like I agree that you can have a healthy relationship with someone and they help teach you who you are. And there's a, a very romantic notion with that, but the notion of belonging solely to someone to be somebody's as opposed to be somebody, period, that to me makes me sad. Very well said. I agree with all of that. So what do we think about the end? Margot comes home. We find out that Margot is not having as great of a time in Scotland as she may have led everybody to believe. There's a couple of, you know, like stressful moments. Margot finds out that Josh kissed Laura Jean. It's very awkward. There's arguing that goes on. As I mentioned before, we find out that Kitty was the person who sent the letters. Of course, there's all of these like revelations that go on. And then in the end, Laura Jean decides that she does miss Peter and she wants to write him like one more letter, basically, which I know is something that changed in the movie. She just sends the letter in the book and we don't really know what happens. Whereas in the movie, she like brings the letter to Peter and she reads it to him out loud and then they kiss and it's super cute. And in the book, we don't really know what happens. I know there are sequels, so I assume that we yeah. find out right away what happens. But this would be a great cliffhanger in 2014 if you had never read it and you like didn't know what was going to happen. Yes. So there's a lot going on in the end. There's there are loose ends being tied up with the family, with the romantic relationships. What did you think about how the whole book came together? I really liked it. But the one thing that I didn't like, I think if there is one thing to say is um, Margot chewing out Laura Jean instead of Josh. True. I didn't under, I didn't understand. I was like, it's, it was all Josh's fault. Like right. Josh crossed boundaries that he should not have crossed. Laura Jean was like the victim in all of this. So why are you treating her like the villain here? When she like immediately, as soon as she realized what was happening, she had to go start fake dating some other guy to get herself out of that situation. So I don't know that part made me upset. That's so true. Like Laura Jean couldn't have done more to try to distance yeah. herself from Josh. I mean, Laura Jean, and we didn't talk about this, but like Laura Jean firmly believed for the vast majority of the book that Margot and Josh were going to get back together. Like she, mm -hmm. she made a scrapbook page in Margot's scrapbook yes. about Josh, even though Margot and Josh were technically broken up. So like, it did make me sad as a sister that Margot didn't take the time to hear Laura Jean out because to your point, like, yes, she's gone through this whole scheme to distance herself from Josh and Josh kissed Laura Jean without Laura Jean consenting, without her expressing an interest in being kissed by him. And so if anything, like she should be really pissed at Josh, not only for 
like kissing her sister and not feeling like a betrayal, but for kissing her sister and it being super inappropriate and invasive. They were arguing at the time when he kissed her too. Like it wasn't like she, not to victim blame or anything like that, but it wasn't like they were in a flirty position. It wasn't like she walked into some sort of trap. Like they were literally arguing because he was trying to control her yet again. Yeah. Classic Josh. Yeah. God damn it, Josh. (laughs) Yeah. I also, I mean, I think that some of the Margot Josh stuff in general was weird. I thought the portrayal of sex in this book was sort of interesting. And I had some like eyebrow raising moments about it. It it did not feel sex positive to me. Not to say that every book needs to be like wildly sex positive, but I think a book can be sex neutral. This book had its moments of feeling sex negative. Margot and Josh seems to seem to have broken up, at least from Josh's perspective, because they had sex and Margot got scared. And then there's this whole other storyline where like Laura Jean and Margot had made a pact with each other to like never have sex until they got married. And then there's a lot of like gossip mongering about girls having sex and like slut shaming. And there, I just don't think that there was one moment in any of the discussion about intimacy in this book that felt like it was sex positive. I mean, it all felt very like sex is a thing to be gossiped about, shamed, broken up over, like a thing that you should make like secret packs with your sisters about. It was strange for me, especially for 2014. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, that definitely bothered me a lot too. I think Laura Jean says to Peter that, you know, he probably has STDs with how much sex he's having, which was a really weird comment to say, especially in her letter. Yeah. So I didn't like that. And yeah, I think Chris being treated kind of like, I think Laura Jean kind of is like, yeah, she's my best friend, but also she sleeps around. And so we have our differences or something like that. And I was like, that's weird. That's a weird thing to say about your best friend. Yeah, I would say of everything in this book, like that stuff just didn't like quite sit right with me. Like every time it would come up, I was like, oh, I don't I don't understand. And I wonder if now even seven years later, Jenny Han, and I certainly like don't know her or her intent, but I wonder if now like she would look at any of that and want to change it up just because this book has clearly taken on like such a new life. And like, to me, it feels like pretty obviously sex negative, but. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if the movie changed any of that I can't for the life of me remember like it almost felt like Chris wasn't treated like the same way like they they made Chris almost a different kind of character like she's still very like punk and edgy and stuff but there is no mention of her having like an active sex life or Laura Jean looking down upon that and like the only mention of sex that I remember I can't remember if there was still the Margot like subplot of her having sex with Josh but yeah all of the sex stuff I feel like wasn't as prominent in the movie as it was in this book Yeah, I don't remember it in the movie at all. And I think the best way I would describe its presentation in the book is that like sex is equal to destruction, destruction of relationships, destruction of reputations, destruction of like even your trust in your family members. So yeah, if I had to pick a thing that wasn't my favorite part, that's probably what I would say. But on the whole, Farah, I mean, you've, you've seen the movies, you've now read the book for the first time. How do you think that the book compares to the movie? Do you think the book met your expectations? You didn't read it as a kid, so we can't compare it to that experience when you were growing up. But I guess I'd just love to hear your take on the reading experience as a whole, especially given your prior knowledge of these stories from the movie. Yeah, no, I mean... My my first reaction was that the movies did a really, really great job adapting the books, which is a rare thing to see and also a really exciting thing to see. And I, I did enjoy, I really did enjoy the book. I, I can see why it's clearly like a just a classic and why it's gotten all of the 
you know, notability that it's gotten. It's just, it is a really, really fun read. And I really just loved hanging out with the sisters, frankly. Yeah, I had a great time reading it too. I happened to be reading it when we were at the beach for a long weekend. And so like, I just sat on the beach and it has nice short chapters. And I just like Mm -hmm. flew through it. It was so much fun. And I definitely want to read the other books in the series now. So yeah, we'll have to do those on the podcast as well. What else have you been reading lately, Farah, that you would recommend to our listeners? I just read The Roommate, and I can't for the life of me remember who the author is. And I'm about to read Not Here to Be Liked by um, Michelle Quake, so I'm really excited to read that. But mostly it's been like adult rom-coms. I'm trying to stay away from why rom-coms just because it's too close to what I'm currently writing. So I find that when I read outside of my genre, it helps also with me thinking in a different and I don't know, like off the road kind of way. So I, I like that. But yeah, it's mostly been adult rom-coms and like a couple, couple why here and there. Cool. Well, I will include links to the books you mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Speaking of what you're working on right now, congratulations on your new book. It all comes back to you, which I know is now available. Can you share a little bit more about it and tell listeners everything they need to know so that they can get excited and go get their copies? Yeah, so um, It All Comes Back to You is a YA rom-com about two Pakistani-American Muslim teenagers who dated three years ago only to reunite when their older siblings announce that they're getting married to each other. So now their paths have crossed again, which is unfortunate because for the main character, Girin, she's still very bitter at Dean, um, the main guy, for ghosting her and just kind of disappearing off the face of the map for no reason. So she is determined to get answers for why he left as well as stop the wedding because she doesn't approve of uh, Dean's older brother getting married to her beloved sister. So if you like to all the uh, boys I've loved before um, for its like close family knit relationships and sisters protecting sisters, it's kind of in a similar vein, which is also why I chose this book because it reminded me a little bit of that theme. Yeah, that's kind of perfect. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you chose this book for many reasons and I'm so excited for you about the book. Listeners, I believe we're going to be giving away a few copies on SSR's Instagram this week. So if you are listening the week the episode goes live, be sure to go check out uh, SSR's Instagram at SSRpod because I'll be giving away a couple of copies of It All Comes Back to You. Farah, it was so much fun talking to you. Thank you for choosing this book so that I finally had the chance to read it and talk about it. And now I have to go watch all of the movies. It was just really nice having you on the show. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait for you to watch those movies. It's going to be a good time. I know. I'll have to let you know and we'll have to debrief. Was there one that was your favorite of the three? I think the second one because of all of the the boys that she's loved before, I loved John Ambrose. <gasps> I did like John Ambrose in the book. Okay, so we do get to know him more in the other installments. Yes, and he's <sighs> a sweetheart. Okay. Total sweetheart. Yeah, I need to like cancel all of my plans and Please. just watch the movies. Okay, fire responsibility. <laughs> Goodbye. I have to go sit on Netflix <laughs> have for the next couple of hours. Well, thanks so say much. Hi to John Ambrose. I will. Me. I'll say Farah said hi, John Ambrose. Thanks, Farah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. 
If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.